You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. It's been very interesting listening to some of the things that have come out this morning uh, as I've been seeking the Lord as to what the Lord is saying to us as a church and don't want to bring, I don't feel like the Lord wants me to, to bring uh, generic teaching at the moment, but generally words that are specifically for BCC, although they would apply anywhere, just seeking God as he, he's, I feel he's speaking to me, uh, and it seems others, about a similar theme, that today is a day of preparation. And by today, I mean uh, this season that we are in is a season of preparation. We had a, a very strong prophetic word earlier in the year about this being a season of preparation and God um, causing people to repent and wants to come to an oasis and the Lord wants to prepare us to be an oasis. And I've always felt like uh, organisationally, if you've got your infrastructure right, if you've got things ready, uh, ready for growth, you're all right. You're you're ready uh, when the influx comes, um, that we would be an organisation that is designed to grow and built to last. And that's a strap line that somebody told me was a strap line for a business that made uh, display boards for conference centres. And you could, you could click on new panels for this display board. And they just thought, isn't that a great strap line for the church? You should be designed to grow and built to last. Uh, and so I, I came here nearly six years ago and, and, and felt like, yes, that's probably a good thing to do. We need to be ready for growth. And you think about all sorts of things that need to be in place. We need to have a good children's work in place. We need to have home groups across the town. We need to have um, facilities to help people. We need all these things in place. And then the growth will come. And the Lord has really shown me over the last few years, John, you've got it all wrong. The preparation is of our hearts if, if we have a, a, a flock of sheep who are prepared to share with other potential sheep, we are prepared. But it's not just learning um, evangelism lines. It's a heart preparation thing. God wants to do a deep work in some of us, some of us and prepare our hearts. So in, in January, we had 21 days of prayer. In February, I uh, challenged people to say, Lord, prepare our hearts for what is to come. If lots of people came into this church feeling like the the Lord was moving on them, as happens in times of revival, and they sat next to you, would you feel prepared spiritually in your heart to disciple that person? doesn't mean you've memorized a thousand scriptures. It just means you're ready in your heart to reach out, love that person, walk with them, ring them up, meet them for coffee, chat to them, pray with them. Are you ready for that? As you're within the limits of your own availability, are you willing to? Is your heart in a place where you're willing to sacrifice something in order to see another person nurtured into the faith, not just save and then drift away and never come back to church, but nurtured in the faith? This is the heart preparation that I believe the Lord is challenging me to, as well as all of us. And as I have said earlier in these talks, that I could easily put on some How to Live for Jesus classes. And there's a few of us that could. We could have a nice little Bible study. But we need people in the seats, ordinary folk. (laughs) I'm not ordinary. Uh, Ordinary folk who have ordinary jobs and ordinary lives that are able to just walk alongside people on a one-to-one basis and, and encourage 
And when I had a, a friend become a Christian when I was a teenager, somebody said to me, he's your responsibility now. You've got to pick him up, get him to church. And, and that's what I did. I, I was able to drive at that time and I just passed my test and I picked him up, took him to church and kept him coming, kept him going. And, and that's the kind of preparation we need to be uh, prepared for. In March then, I felt like it was really important that we, we re-engage with the discipline of reading his word. Some of you are brilliant at this. Some of you just get on it every morning and you read the Word of God. The Word of God is living, active, and it's awesome, and it speaks to me. But it's also boring when you're in the wrong frame of mind and you're trying to do a, a, a reading in a year and you're through all these horrible bits that just make no sense to you, and, and it's, it's hard work as well. So I'm, I'm kind of balanced about that. But even when it's hard work, it's still the Word of God, and it's still living, and it's still active, and it's still important to engage. So over the last six months, I've had conversations with some of you, and at times, some of you who won't be named, because you, <laughs> you don't want me to name you saying this, some of you have said either, I don't read my Bible every day, and, or, 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 sorry, either and or, or, I don't pray every day. And reasons, well, we're all busy, we don't have time. And, and that's all understandable and fine. Um, but I, I just want to encourage those of us who are in that position for throughout March just to have a go at reading one verse every day. And I've made it really easy. I've even picked the verse. And you might find that a bit prescriptive and overbearing. And if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But the, the idea I had was we'd all be reading the same verse at the same time. So I, I've printed off... 31 verses, because that's how many days there are in March. If you're on our mailing list, you'll already have had an email explaining this. And I'd just like us to spend some time in the Word, one verse a day. And this is particularly a challenge for those of us who don't read the Bible every day. But those who do, let's add this on. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about just a slowing down technique to, to spend maybe two to five minutes every day uh, reading that one verse together. I'll talk about that a bit more at the end because I wanted to talk about um, a few Bible references that have encouraged and inspired me to preach this message and, and to lead the church in this direction for the month of, of March. And this is all part of our preparation for whatever it is God's going to do next. Shut the door. I used to have a, a, a boss. I, after I did A-levels, I did two years uh, in an office and uh, at one point I had an office to myself not because I was important but because it was a small firm and uh, I just had this room to myself and my boss was next door and his door was constantly propped open and I used to make him coffees he used to have um, black coffee two scoops of coffee uh, instant and two scoops of um, I say scoops because they were teaspoons, but he'd make me pile them up. Two, two teaspoons of coffee and two teaspoons of sugar, and it was like syrup and not too much water. And I used to bring them to him intravenously, and he'd be there on the phone, and he'd be working, he'd be on his computer, and I'd, I'd come back in, and I'd see the coffee um, was still there, and it had gone cold. And he'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll have another one. And he'd just down it in one, like that, cold. I'd say, yeah, I'll have another one, thanks, John. And that was part of my job, was to bring him coffee I could just walk in and out and do that but every now and then his door would be shut sometimes he'd have someone in there an important client sometimes he'd be on the phone and sometimes I could hear him giggling talking talking to his wife on the phone but he'd shut the door 
There is something intimate when you shut the door. And in the NLT, that's the verse, um, sorry, that's the words that are used where I'm reading now from the NIV in Matthew 6, 6. Jesus says, he's talking to people about praying. When you pray, go to your room, close the door or shut the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Now, the context of this, I know, is because Jesus is talking people to people uh, or about people who make a big display of their prayers or a big display of their giving. I don't like to talk about it too much, but I do give a lot to charity. Or you just, uh, or you just put on Facebook, um, sorry if I'm a bit tired today, everybody, but I was up at five o'clock praying this morning. You know, Jesus is saying... Um, you, you've, you've had your reward. You, your reward is the accolade of people who think that was really good. Or when you fast, you're sort of looking all weak and feeble and, yeah, yeah I'm terrible on an empty stomach, but I am fasting. Um, and he's saying, don't do that. Keep it a secret. Go to your room. And so, that, so his real point about shutting the door, I know, is about keeping it a secret from other people. And that's why he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the reward comes from, from God because your prayers are private. They are between you and God. Public prayer is brilliant. We do that here. Really important. But what I'm talking about is finding a moment where we can shut the door. We can be alone with God. We can shut things out. We can shut things down. Now, I read the Bible on my phone, so I have to sort of shut notifications off if I don't want disturbing. It's, that's, for me, part of shutting the door. Uh, maybe they're switching other devices off or shutting down the, the door of your laptop, the, 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 shutting your laptop down so you can um, actually focus on what you're doing and be alone with God. There's something happens when you shut the door. Even in my bedroom, if I'm sitting on the side of my bed and I'm looking at my phone or whatever, um, I'm reading, um, if I, the door's in front of me, if I just go up and shut the door, even if there's no one in, it just feels different. I want to encourage you to get into that moment where you've shut the door and been alone with the Father, and he will reward you. The rewards sometimes are instant. You just think, yeah, I feel more at peace. I feel a bit more of that shalom, even right now, just because I've shut the door. Jesus had a great example of it, or led a great example of it. In, in Matthew chapter 14, we read about the feeding of the 5,000 and the walking on water. Jesus goes from one miracle to the next. He fed 5,000 men, because they counted men, because men are more important, as we all know. Amen? No? Okay. Let's just think of it. I know I used to have to teach, teach kids this in the modern age. and they, Why do they only count the men? Well, it's just a way of counting family groups. Just count the male heads, that's fine. Because they were taller, it was easier. Um, but anyway, the point being, he's fed maybe 15,000 people. And that's an incredible miracle because all he had was a little bit of food. Okay, and there's basketfuls left over, blah de blah And then the next miracle is Jesus walks on water. But in the middle of those two is a very important thing. He sends his disciples out onto the water, onto the lake, says, you're going to go to the other side. And then he goes up the mountainside to pray. They all ate and were satisfied. Matthew 14, verse 20. So that's the tail end of the feeding of the 5,000. 
They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. At least they got a mention. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side, while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Jesus, Son of God, God in human form, felt the need to get alone and pray. He dismissed the crowd. Did you notice that? He sends the disciples, I'm going to get rid of people one at a time. I'm going to get rid of people just for a little while, one at a time. Get rid of the disciples, send them on the way, I'll catch you up. And they obey, obediently off they go. And then he dismisses the crowd. Sometimes we need to dismiss the crowd. And that's why those of us who are in the technological age need to switch off some notifications because you can read it, I can be reading my Bible and this, this panel comes down at the top of my screen. And someone's posted something meaningless on Facebook about some dinner they've had and how pretty it looks. But at the moment, in the flesh, that's more interesting than the Bible. In eternity, well, I'll look back and think, what an idiot. But in the moment, in the flesh, in the natural, that's more appealing. So I've got to switch off notifications. I've got to turn off. I've got to turn off the, um, shut the door on all all those things. I've got to dismiss the crowd. That's where I was. He dismissed the crowd. Even the disciples were sent away. There were times when he liked to pray with the disciples. He he took Peter, James and John with him uh, when he was... um, when he was about to heal Jairus' daughter, he, he, he dismissed a whole crowd there, and there were mourners and people wailing, but he took in his three closest disciples. It's good to have prayer partners. Let's get some balance. I do think it's good to pray together. I often pray better when I'm with other people. But there are times where you need to dismiss the disciples, send them away, and dismiss the crowd. And who knows, you might soon be walking on water. This is not a one-off for Jesus. In Luke 5, 16, it says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Often, Jesus saw the need to withdraw to lonely places. And you know what? It is lonely. Sometimes prayer is lonely. And you have to wrestle with yourself to make yourself do it. Even this 31-day challenge, I'm, I'm... putting out to you. you, some of you might think, well I'm not going to do that anyway. Some of you might be thinking, yeah I'm going to do this. And then on day three it's like, do I have to do this? It's hard work. Or it's like, oh, yeah no, I want to do this and I'm going to force myself to do this. But by the time you get to it, oh, the words are just swimming on the page and I just oh. it is sometimes a lonely thing to do. And it's so much easier to want to look for connection with other people and connection with other things and objects and possessions. But I'm challenging us, as we do this together, it will be easier. I'm challenging us, as we do this together, it will be easier. You're more likely to keep going to the gym if you have an exercise partner. It's statistically true, but it makes sense mentally as well, doesn't it? So let's all partner together 
and even talk about some of the verses in our home groups or Wednesday night or if you meet people for coffee, just talk about the verse of the day. Did you read today's verse? Yeah, of course I did. It was really good. (laughs) But maybe just do this together a little bit and be accountable to somebody or one another. But because it is lonely, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. In Luke 6, and uh, verses 12 and 13, it says, One of those days Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. And then he picked his 12 disciples. That's a, that's a massive decision, isn't it? It's almost like he, he knew, I've got to do this. He spent the night in prayer before making these important appointments. I think that's the only time it refers to him spending the whole night in prayer. But in that crucial moment, prayer was more important than sleep. I have never felt like that. (laughs) I've never, ever felt that prayer is more important than a whole night's sleep. There are times when I've got up and prayed. It doesn't happen a whole load. But there are times where I've got up in the middle of the night with stuff on my mind and I've just thought, even if I can get back to sleep, I feel like I need to pray this through and wrestle with God and go downstairs and walk the floor up and down and just talk to God about the thing, speaking in tongues and, and bringing it to him. But most of the time, I prefer sleep to prayer. And somebody even told me this morning that they, they often, if they can't get, they didn't tell me this at all. Uh, this is my spin on what they said. If I can't get to sleep, the best thing to do is pray because you can easily fall asleep while you're praying. <laughs> And you're in, good, you're in good company, you know. It happened in the Bible at Gethsemane. Um, but anyway, Jesus withdrew often. He saw the need. He was up on the mountain. He found his lonely places, and off he went to pray. I wanted to finish with a story that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 32, where Jacob was leaving his father-in-law, Laban, and going all the way back to Esau, his brother. Now, he's been gone decades, and he left on very bad terms. Jacob, bit of a trickster, he tricked Esau, his twin brother, out of the birthright. Esau was older and more burly. He was a man's man. He liked hunting and doing all that kind of mannish stuff. Jacob preferred to stay in and help his mom at home, and, and he was that kind of guy. But he was the younger by seconds, and he came out of, the, out of the womb holding on to Esau's heel. And for, the, for the, all of his life, really, he, he kind of had that wrestling with, with Esau. And he stole or tricked Esau out of the birthright to all of the, the blessing. And when Esau fi- found out, Esau says, I am going to kill my brother Jacob. There is words a few chapters back. I am going to kill my brother Jacob. So Jacob runs away. His mum gets wind of it as well and helps Jacob to run away. So he's run away. And that's the last time Jacob saw Esau. That was the last time he saw him. And now he's um, grown in wealth and flocks and herds and servants and wives in the plural. We'll deal with that on another talk. And he's very wealthy, and he, he decides it's time to go back. Because whatever you run away from, you, one day you're going to have to go back to it. Whatever you've run, however far you've run, and however many years you've run away from something in the past, in your family, or in any situation, one day you will have to face up to it. And this is where Jacob is in this story. He sent his 
servants ahead to say to Esau, Jacob is coming home. He's coming to see you and he comes in peace. And he sends gifts and he, he's, Jacob is now, it's the night before, he's going to go and see his brother who he's deeply offended years back. And, you know, you, you can say, well, it's water under the bridge and time passes. If you don't resolve something, you know, when, in a good way, you might have friends who you might not see for a very long time, but when you get back together again, it's just like you were, you, you just start straight, straight, it can be like that with hurt as well. You, you, you've not been together for ages, but you know you've hurt that person. It doesn't matter how many years it's been, you get back together, it's, the, the, the feeling is just, just as strong as it was. And Jacob's there, he knows that he's got to confront his brother. He might be feeling guilty. He might have, he should have matured by now and he's, he's gained in, in wealth, as I've said, and, and he should be feeling guilty. He should be thinking about how am I going to um, confront my brother or, or if confront's the wrong word, how am I going to be with Esau? What's Esau going to be like? And he decides to do exactly what Jesus did in the, in the first story we talked about. He dismisses the crowd and he spends the night alone. And he has a very unexpected visitor. That night, Jacob got up and looked at, sorry, and took, looked at his two wives. He took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons, and crossed the ford of the river Jabbok. After he'd sent them across the stream, so he gets them across and it's implied that he goes back to the other side of the stream as a ford. He then sends over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. The man might have been an angel, but the, the, if he was an angel, he was very powerful because he had the power to bless Jacob and um, Jacob says he met with, he says he, that he, later on we'll see, he met with God and he calls a place the face of God. So many scholars, and I believe it was God in human form. It was like, there's, throughout the Old Testament, there's, there's references to the angel of the Lord and lots of people believe that's kind of like Jesus popping into humanity, um, probably not a very respectful phrase to say popping into humanity. But it's God in human form. Either way, he has this wrestling match with this mystery person. But notice first, before we read any more, that he sent his wives, his servants, all his people, all his flocks, all his herds, and all of his possessions out of the room. And he shut the door. There's no room. They're outside. They're by a river. But for me, it's like he's shut the door. And, and in, this, in this 31 days of March, I'm challenging you or encouraging you and myself, because I'm not great at this. I know God's leading me in this, and um, I might be further ahead than some of you, and I might be behind some of you as well. You've been saved longer than me. To shut the door, and when we do, as we physically close a door, find somewhere, it might even be a car door, you just say, right, on this particular journey, that's my time, I'm not going to put the radio on, that's my time with God. You're going to get out the scripture of the day, you're going to read it, because it's going to be short, most of them are only one verse, you're going to read it, and then you're going to hold it in your mind, and then you're going to get driving, and this is, hopefully, if it's a safe thing for you to do. But for many of us, I envisage just 
shutting the door. And as we do, it's almost like in your mind you're saying, I'm going to shut out all my possessions, all my people, and anything that belongs to my heart. I'm just going to shut it out for a moment, and I'm just, for a very short moment, I'm going to open myself up to be with God. And we're going to read that scripture, we're going to take a breath, and then we're going to turn it into a prayer. But we'll talk about that a bit more as we go. This is the last slide of, of verses, and then we'll, we'll finish with a bit more practical. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And this is why I like this story, because right back at the very beginning of the 21 days of prayer in January, I said a couple of times, I feel like when Jacob said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And I want us to be praying that audaciously as a church for this church. God, we've had, we've had some times of prayer in January. We've been praying individually, Lord, prepare my heart in February. If you haven't, don't worry. You can still jump in and keep going with this. And now we're just going to get into the word. And God, we're not letting go of you until you send your blessing upon this church. We're doing everything we can. We're trying to put our house in order in lots of ways. But in our hearts, we're seeking you by praying and reading the word. I won't let you go unless you bless me. But if this was God, who is Jacob to say that to God? And, and how could God even be saying to a human being, oh, let me go, as if God was powerless, as if Jacob could overthrow God? Do we see the grace of God here? The grace of God allowing us to wrestle with him. And sometimes in these moments, you might not, you might not like the scripture I've prescribed for the day, or you might have a, a problem with it, <clears throat> you might have to wrestle with God. Or even before you can face the word of God, you might just have to wrestle with God. Have you ever wrestled with God before? I hope you have, because if you haven't, your faith isn't really that real. Because to have faith, there needs to be... A, a reason to doubt it's kind of how faith works and we just need to wrestle with God over some stuff not just say well yeah I don't really get that I'll just move on or um, I just have to oh, there must be something wrong with me because I don't I don't get what that bit of the Bible says or, or whatever just wrestle with God ask him what does it mean turn it over in your mind meditate on the scripture and wrestle with him talk to him shout at him pound his chest with your fists so to speak, and say, because he can handle it, and he doesn't mind. Look how he wrestled with Jacob. He allowed Jacob to feel like he had subdued God. Don't let me, oh, sorry, let me go, because it's daybreak. I won't let you go unless you bless me. And then the man says, what is your name? What is your name? Now, there's a reason he's asking. The name of a person is important particularly in biblical history. The name, to know someone's name, is an intimate thing. And names had more meaning than they do today. And so when the man asks Jacob, what is your name? It's leading somewhere. And Jacob says, my name is Jacob, because that's his name. Otherwise, it would have been a lie. Jacob, he answered. Now, Jacob means supplanter. It means somebody who takes over something either by force or by trickery, supplanter. So some people just 
make it easier to say it means trickster or someone who's trick but the, the word means supplant or one who comes behind literally the hebrew i don't, I'm not, I don't know hebrew I, i've looked this up so don't make, don't think i'm really clever i'll probably forget it in a couple of weeks but i've just memorized it for this talk so just you know full disclosure it means one who comes behind and that's what he did when he was born he came behind he was holding the heel but it also has the implication of being a supplanter one who comes behind in order to take over either by force or by trickery and that's what his name means every time he hears his name that's the implication of what it means and that's what it means to him so that's who he is He's a trickster. And that's even the way he left his father-in-law. If you read the, the stories, he's still going around tricking people or being cunning. And in it all, there's this wrestling with people. Because a con artist kind of is wrestling with the, the, the minds and the, and the ways people are thinking. He's wrestled with Esau. He's wrestled with his father-in-law Laban greatly. And he's been very humbled in the process. He's been wrestling with people. And the man says, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Israel means contends with God, wrestles with God, struggles with God. He's saying, you're not going to wrestle with man anymore. You're going to wrestle with God. Here's the challenge for us. Let's stop wrestling at a natural level. You've got a problem in your life. You've got an issue. And, and you kind of want to wade in and deal with it. And you might even be a little bit false trying to deal with it. Sometimes I've seen Christians lie to try and get God's way. Literally lie. In a, in a, I've seen Christians in, in a meeting tell a lie to a third party in order to get what they believe was the right outcome for their charity. That is just wrestling with man at man's level. What we do, we're going to put all that to one side and we're going to wrestle with God in the prayer room. Say, God, this isn't working. This isn't right. This, is, this person's coming against me or I've got this illness. And we're going to wrestle with God instead of wrestling with man. As you shut the door and spend time with him, he will give you a new name. No longer will you wrestle with people, you will wrestle with God, you will deal with battles in the heavenly realms and you will see the outcome as God works that through for you. We're getting before God, we're putting our possessions to one side, we're putting our people, our family to one side, we're shutting the door, we're getting before God and we're wrestling with him over whatever issue we've got in our lives and we're watching him work out the outcome. No longer will you be called Jacob. Stop wrestling with people. Leave it with God. Leave it with God. There is so much I could have said to a person because I was right. Some time ago, there was so much I could have said to a person because I was right. And the worst thing is when they think they're right too, but you know you're right. You could bullet point the things they've done and you go down your arm with it. And I prayed. And even in prayer, I'm bullet pointing what they've done so that, Lord, help me formulate this so that I can help them put themselves right. And God says, love them. 
I'll be your defender, if you like. Don't know what he said, really. He just said, don't, don't do the bullet points. The bullet points might have been true, but what he's saying is, wrestle with me over it. Ask, just shout at me. This is God speaking. Just shout at me all the stuff that's happened and, and just let me deal with something. Let me pick you up and carry you through that situation. So we, we love the person and you, you get along and, and you, you, you then have a journey of, of working through every time something comes up that you really wanted to tell that person, uh, you just keep giving it to God because God's told you not to. Now there are times, and the Bible makes it clear, if you think someone's got a problem with you, Jesus says this, go to the person, tell them the problem. If they don't hear you, bring a friend from church and, and tell them and, and all that sort of, and then tell the church. There's a process and you do tell people. But sometimes he just says, take it to me and I'll deal with it. And that's what J uh, Jacob models for me here. And he gets a new name. He stops wrestling with people, which is what Jacob means. And he now wrestles with God. God's up for a wrestling match, okay? And he'll play fair and he'll fight fair and you will win. That's just, just that, I know that's nonsense, but that's, that's the way it is, okay? Trust me, have a go. So Jacob says, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So God's not ready to reveal his name yet. It's a big, big event when God reveals his name to Moses. But he blesses Jacob. After all the trickery, all the wrongdoing, all the naughtiness, he has the audacity to wrestle with God, say, don't go until you bless me. Uh, and then God blesses him. Thank the Lord. And just as our key verse says, which I'll come back to again next week, shut the door, talk to your Father in heaven, and he will reward you. This is what the prayer room is about. This is what shutting the door is about. And these little Bible verses, one a day, are my way of just trying to get you in, trying to give you an easy in to this prayer room. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which means face of God, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. It's a funny thing when you've been wrestling with God. You, you feel like, I'm not going to let you go, as if you've got the control, and God has the grace to let you do that. But when you come out of it, you realise, wow, he could have killed me. I mean, the Bible also says no one has seen God and lived. You know, if we really saw God, saw God, as he really, really is, we just wouldn't stand a chance. And he says, I saw the face of God and my life was spared and all he got away with was a limp. So he was left with a name change and a limp. The sun rose above him and as, he, as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Because the man has wrestled with him and touched his hip joint. I'd thought about this and I, I looked at some commentaries and I'm not really happy about understanding what, why there was a limp. And, and some people think he limped for the rest of his life, but there's no real evidence for that. But um, Some people think he was just limping then. But um, shall we just say that for that moment, God slowed his walk down and he was changed in the way he walked through the rest of his journey. He was humbled by being in the presence of God and it affected his walk and oh, that as we spend time in his presence, even if 
it's just increasing by five minutes a day, or three, or two, if, that's, if five felt too long. Lord, that our walk would be different, that things would change, and maybe it would slow us down a little bit. So this is what I want us to do. I've talked about how in January we had 21 days of prayer, and we, we, I'm still using this. I, I kind of dot around between the, the different sections, but we P-R-A-Y. We praise, we repent, we ask, and we, we yield. Carry on doing that if you can. It's great, and it's helping me. Uh, in February, I, I just challenged us to pray this prayer, prepare my heart, Lord. And if you remember, I spoke twice on the story of Jehoshaphat, who, who was fully prepared. He got the nation prepared. He went about from town to town, turning the people back to the Lord. Lord, prepare my heart. Lord, turn my heart back to you. He was firmly determined. He, when he heard that there was an army coming, he resolved. He, he, he was determined to inquire of the Lord and he called the people together we had family united and in that time of preparation and praying prepare my heart Lord that's what I was preaching to you was that we would be fully prepared in our hearts that we'd be firmly determined to inquire of the Lord when hard times come and in good times and that we would be a family united and in the second talk I called it preparation pays because we saw the outcome of that preparation and we saw how um, Jehoshaphat's army were completely victorious against all odds. And he was trembling with fear, but he was victorious because he was prepared. And so that was February's talks. And then this month I'm talking about having 31 days in the Word. So if you're on our email list, you will have received an email yesterday saying how excited I was about this 31 days and you will right at the bottom it's quite a long email because I got carried away talking about it and at the bottom there was the verse for that day which is today because I sent it early I've printed it out here the verse was may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit so what I'm asking you to do is to find a time, find a place, find your Peniel. He named the place Peniel because he'd met with the face of God in that last story. Find your place. Sometimes it's good to have a routine place. I have a few. I have about three routine places where I associate that spot with, with, with prayer, with just spending a moment lingering thinking about God and talking to him about my day. Where, where would that be for you, I wonder? I wonder if you already know where that is. And I just put in this idea that before we do anything, just breathe. I found just take a deep breath, really helpful, and then breathe it out slowly. Maybe do that three times. And maybe by day three, you might do that six times. And then, you, you, as you're doing it, just imagine you're breathing in the Holy Spirit. And you're breathing out all the bad that's in you. Because there is bad in us all. Breathe it out. And do that again, just breathing in. The life of God. And then breathing out the things 
that shouldn't be in there. And then read the, read the verse like, like I just did. And the last thing is to turn the verse into a prayer. So for example, for this one, where it's, I just read it to you, may the God of hope fill you with all joy. Just take that bit. Say, Lord, thank you that you are the God of hope. I pray that you would fill me with all joy today. Today I feel pretty rubbish, but God, you can fill me with joy and peace as I trust in you. I'm just carrying on reading the verse. Turn it into the prayer. If you pray the scriptures, you're praying God's word. Can't go wrong. Sometimes my prayers just wander off and I don't know what I'm on about. Uh, I feel sorry for God sometimes. But when I'm praying scripture, I'm praying his word. And I just believe that's powerful. And that's the challenge to us that I'll continue to talk about next week. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.